When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Tell Mr. Trump you want to meet him. I love you, Trump. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody use any racial slurs. Nobody call me the word. It's microaggressions. He does not support Mexicans, not Jews, not Muslims, not Blacks, no one but his own kind. The witch. When Trump says we'll lose our country, that's not just a, I mean, maybe he's being a little extreme. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast, the show about the failed casino operator Donald Trump. I'm Jacob Weisberg. So what do you call someone who's paid to work against the policies and interests of the United States in secret on behalf of foreign governments? A turncoat? A traitor? A spy? In Washington, they usually prefer the more genteel term, lobbyist. But today's show is about someone whose work goes well beyond the normally corrupt work of lobbying. His name is Paul Manafort. Is Manafort the most reprehensible person in American politics? Offhand, it's hard for me to think of anybody worse. The list of thugs and torturers and crooks whose reputations Manafort has been paid to buff up runs to many pages. Manafort's client list includes Ferdinand Marcos in the Philippines, Mobutu Sese Seko in Zaire, Jonas Savimbi in Angola, Viktor Yanukovych in Ukraine, Donald Trump in Mar-a-Lago. Wait, what's that he said? Donald Trump? Why would Donald Trump hire a guy whose last job was promoting Vladimir Putin's hostile takeover of Ukraine? That's the topic of today's show. But before we get to that, let's hear the tweets. So many false and phony TV commercials being broadcast in Indiana. Reminds me of Florida, where thousands were put up. I won in a landslide. Bernie Sanders has been treated terribly by the Democrats, both with the delegates and otherwise. He should show them and run as an independent. How bad is the New York Times? The most inaccurate coverage constantly. Always trying to belittle. Paper's lost its way. Wow. The ridiculous deal made between Lion Ted Cruz and one for 42, John Kasich, has just blown up. What a dumb deal. Dead on arrival. I'm in Indiana, where we just had a great rally. Fantastic people staying at a Holiday Inn Express, new and clean. Not bad. Frank Foer is the former editor of The New Republic and a frequent contributor to Slate. He wrote an investigative piece in Slate this week about Manafort, 
Frank, welcome to Trumpcast. Good to be here, Jake. Frank, in the intro, I listed some of the dictators Paul Manafort has worked for. Why is this guy such a good get for Donald Trump? Paul Manafort is an operative who is at a a much higher level than some of the rinky-dink characters who were initially in the Trump campaign. Trump was such a fanciful candidate that he wasn't able to attract top-flight talent to work on his campaign. It's kind of a so clown, after, it's a, like it, a clown show over there. Yeah. yeah, right. And then when he started to do well, the Republican establishment still didn't really believe that he was going to ever ca- capture the nomination. And so even then, top flight Republican talent wouldn't flock to him. And so eventually he's able to, to get a hold of this Manafort character because Manafort has a very, very long association with Donald Trump. Um, he represented Donald Trump as, as his lobbyist when Trump was uh, trying to protect his Atlantic City casino interests from competition uh, in the form of Indian gaming. And Manafort lives in Trump Tower. And so he needed a character like Manafort in order to help him impose the discipline that he needed on his ad spending and on the, the ground game that he has to build in all these states as well as the accumulation of delegates in a potentially contested convention. And Manafort is a skilled operative who has a lot of experience dealing with all these many facets of campaigning. But as as a lobbyist, Frank, Manafort was like known as the sleaziest of the sleazy, right? I mean, he's like the lobbyist for the dam, like the dictators, you know, nobody else will work for in Washington. He represents yeah, yeah, he's he's not just a sleazy lobbyist. Those are a dime a dozen in Washington. He's somebody who is constantly reinventing the lobbying game to be ever more sleazy. So, what did he do? I mean, who are clients that he represented that that uh, lobbyists with some compunctions? It's a sort of a funny thought, but it might have turned out. Well, so like I said, he, he really specialized in representing the despots of the world. And so in the 1980s, he represented the likes of Ferdinand Marcos in the Philippines, uh, all sorts of African dictators in Somalia and Kenya, Mobutu Sese Seko. He represented uh, the Angolese rebel uh, Jonas Savimbe, who was uh, notorious for recklessly laying landmines all across his country. Savimbe would burn families alive who he believed were guilty of witchcraft. And what what Manafort did so skillfully was that he would take these horrible creatures, he would get them booked on American television, and he would coach them to speak the language of the Cold War. And then he would take them through the byways of conservative Washington, and he would dress them up with just the right libertarian, anti-communist, rhetoric. So somebody like Savimbe, who was really just such a monster, would come to Washington and then he would talk about capitalism. And and Savimbe was a trained Maoist. Yet when he would go to the Heritage Foundation of the American Enterprise Institute, he would get hailed as this great freedom fighter. We call that a pivot on the Trump campaign. (laughs) Yeah, a pivot. He was professionalized. Um, And and so he was only able to do that because Manafort, like his partner Roger Stone, was kind of born within the conservative movement. They came of political age in the late 1970s as Reagan was starting to rise. They'd been operatives in the young college Republican and young Republican movement. And so they knew all the characters who were making their way through conservative 
Washington, and they were able to exploit those relationships, and they were able to stroke conservative erogenous zones in just the right sort of way on behalf on behalf of the scumbags of the world. Yeah, and speaking of scumbags, I mean, more recently, like in the 21st century, he got very involved in Ukraine, and he was working for Viktor Yanukovych. Can you explain who that guy was and what he was doing for him? So Ukraine has been engaged over the course of the last 15 years in this real tug of war between the forces in the country who are trying to bring Ukraine into the European orbit and the forces in the country who are trying to bring it into the Russian orbit. And uh, Vladimir Putin has made an enormous priority of trying to create a series of client states on the periphery of his country. And Ukraine always had to be the most important of those client states in his geostrategic worldview because Ukraine is such a big, important country. And so Putin invested a whole lot in trying to create a political class in that country that was sympathetic to him. And the most important politician, pro-Putin politician there, was a guy called Viktor Yanukovych. Now, Viktor Yanukovych is not the most attractive character. He had a, a childhood or teenage history as a, as a criminal and had the stench of corruption about him. And furthermore, he was kind of a gruff Soviet-style politician. And so he was briefly elected prime minister in 2002 and then ran to be president of the country in 2004. And despite his efforts to fix the election through massive voter fraud, ended up losing. And wasn't that when his, his, wasn't that when his opponent got poisoned with dioxin? Was it, he suspected it, it, of that? Exactly. And, and preventing Yanukovych from becoming president of the country became the touchstone of the Orange Revolution, which was a great symbol of the country trying to throw off the yoke of post-Soviet-style dictatorship. So Yanukovych was a, a hopeless politician who, through an oligarch friend of his, recruited Manafort to come in to try to salvage his image and rehabilitate his career. And Manafort was able to come in and do precisely that. And he was able to do it by bringing a lot of the techniques that he had uh, learned from American politics. And he was able to do the most amazing thing, which was to humanize the grayest, most grim of politicians. He taught him how to wave his hand. He taught him how to feel people's pain. He stage managed these events. And savvy Ukrainian journalists were able to point out the moments that there were parallels between Yanukovych rallies and the Republican National Conventions that Manafort had been <laughs> brought in to run. And so amazingly, really amazingly, and with a bit of help from the inept orange revolutionary politics politicians he was trying to depose, Yanukovych was able to stage this very, very unlikely political comeback. And Manafort was, was at the center of it. And you know, Manafort was able to assert control over this pro-Putin circle, where you had a bunch of oligarchs who were incredibly ruthless characters, yet they all ended up deferring to Manafort as the source of wisdom. And so in 2010, Yanukovych is elected president of Ukraine, thanks to Manafort. And thanks to Manafort, you have to say that Putin was able to extend his control to the Ukraine. Well, so here's another Trump connection. Trump calls up his friend Vladimir and says, who would you recommend to help me out? I need to upgrade my campaign staff. And, and he says, well, my favorite oligarchs have really enjoyed working with Paul Manafort. Right. <laughs> you say that facetiously, and we have no evidence to suggest that it's true. 
yet. <laughs> um, I mean, it really, there, there is this uncanny convergence that I think we need to treat really seriously, where Donald Trump has a long history of sucking up to Vladimir Putin, and he's ended up being surrounded by a series of advisors who come out of the Kremlin's orbit. So one of his other advisors is a guy called Carter Page, who was instrumental in Gazprom extending its business. And he's now among Trump's Russian advisors. And you have this guy Manafort, who, who, who's just spent a lot of time in the Putin world promoting Putin politicians. They're all friends. One, one of Manafort's friends was this oligarch, is this oligarch called Oleg Deripaska. And in your piece, you have this story about Manafort basically ripping him off, getting him to invest this money and then like disappearing with it and going underground. That strikes me as a, maybe a foolhardy thing to do. <laughs> yes. But this was, uh, these were, I got a series of documents that were filed in a Virginia court uh, just as I was closing this piece. And um, the Washington Post seems to have gotten the same documents at about the same time. And so they reported on this as well. And so Manafort and his business partners set up a private equity fund where they, a $200 million private equity fund where this uh, Russian oligarch, Oleg Deripaska, is the primary investor. And Deripaska, it should be noted, wasn't allowed into the United States for a large number of years because the U.S. government was suspicious of his ties to Russian organized crime. Um, he was alleged to have bugged an Israeli cabinet minister. There was a RICO case against him in the Southern District of New York for having threatened to kill two other aluminum tycoons. So he was not a pleasant figure. And he's not the type of guy you would want to steal from. Yet, it seems like that's basically that Manafort sets up this fund. Deripaska invests in the fund. And a couple of years later, as the financial crisis hits, Deripaska is wondering what happens to his money. And so he asks Manafort and for his partners for an audit of the fund. That doesn't, appear, that doesn't happen. And then when he wants to come get his money back, Deripaska is suddenly unable to track down Manafort. And at about that same time, there were pieces being run in Politico asking where in the world was Paul Manafort. <laughs> and at the time, it was just this curious mystery about this political consultant who nobody had heard from for a couple months. <laughs> um, yet, yet now it all seems to make sense. <laughs> I'm not sure you've convinced me this guy's a genius. He's, when he's not ripping off the Russian oligarchs, he's telling Donald Trump that he shouldn't go on TV so much, which is probably equally dangerous. Well, I mean, if you think about his genius this way, he was able to rip off a Russian oligarch, survive to tell about it, and resurrect himself by running the presidential campaign of the Republican nominee. If that's not a certain form of genius, <laughs> I don't know what is. Uh, so th there's been conflict clearly inside the Trump campaign between Manafort and the old guard, um, Corey Lewandowski, who doesn't want the help from the, uh, the, the uh, Washington experts. What's happening, do you think? Is, uh, who's going who's gonna to survive this episode of uh, Celebrity Apprentice? Right. So if we do extend the reality show metaphor that you've just set up, I think that he's probably going to try to maintain a state of healthy competition between the two of those guys because... A, he probably finds it entertaining, and B, 
it probably suits him to always have another advisor with an opposing point of view who he could gravitate to to find affirmation for whatever principle, whatever strategy, whatever position he's craving affirmation for on that day of the week. Frank, thanks for joining me on Trumpcast today. Pleasure. That's it for today's episode of Trumpcast. The show is produced by Henry Milowski and Jason DeLeon. Slate's executive producer is Steve Lichtai. Andy Bowers is our chief content officer. Thanks, as always, to John Domenico, our voice of Donald Trump. And from The Daily Show, here's Black Donald Trump. I'm Jacob Weisberg. Thanks for tuning in to Trumpcast. 360, what's good? Man, if Megyn Kelly stopped talking about me on her show, her ratings would drop like a rock. <laughs> well, I, 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 I gotta go, man. The beat about to drop. I have a great relationship with the blacks. The blacks. Politicians all talking to wax. I was down at 7-Eleven. I spent almost nothing on my run for president. All the women flirted with me on The Apprentice. If Ivanka with my daughter, then perhaps I'd be dating her. We have to have a wall done. Who's doing the raping? We have to have a wall done. Who's doing the raping? Check me out, Democrats. They love me. Check me out, these Muslims love me. Oh, yeah. Stop hating these women. Love they me. Love these gays me. love me. Everybody loves me. Told you. Check me out, Megyn Kelly. She loves love me. me. Check me out, illegals. They love me. Love what me. it do, these veterans love me. Protesters love me. Everybody love me. Told you. I'm so good looking. I'm really rich.